I want to ask that we turn to Second Timothy. Um, again, Second Timothy, beginning at chapter three. Beginning at chapter three. You know what? Uh, Chapter four, excuse me. Chapter four, verse one. When you have it, uh, please say amen or give me a thumbs up or. Amen. So what, what we're going to be doing here is more teaching orientated. Okay. Particularly it's called expositional. I've used this term a lot. It's good to know. Not necessary to know, but it's good to know. This is different from topical topics. There's topical preaching where someone says, I want to preach about forgiveness. That serves as their heading. And they'll take supportive verses. They'll kind of put them together, support what they want to say. There's, it can very much be biblical. And, and topical at the same time. But I think that we see this almost too often in our day. Um, there's nothing wrong with it, but more than ever, I think there's a need for prophetic preaching and expositional. Expositional, again, comes from the Greek word, a Greek preposition, ek, and it means out from. <clears throat> and so, expositional preaching in nature is looking at the text and bringing out from it its original meaning okay and so we want to look at what the text is saying that's where our authority comes from it's from the spirit and from the word so again the nature of this letter is paul writing to timothy who is timothy we will see from this text that he's one who does the work of an evangelist. He was Paul's son in the faith. Okay. Which is very important language. Um, Paul speaks very well of him and says, I don't have anyone like him. I mean, Paul speaks very well of a lot of people. Epaphras, Epaphroditus, uh, Philemon, you know, many other people, but he had a particular, um, appreciation for timothy who is now being entrusted with the work that paul had committed himself to so paul timothy is also doing pastoral work this is why first timothy second timothy and titus are called pastoral epistles as i mentioned earlier they're intended to provide the prescriptions to the church he's prescribing what is needed Okay, and remember, I've mentioned this before. I don't know if you recall, but I think this is so important because this is Paul's last letter. And this is the last chapter in his last letter. And as we will see, he understands that he will already be poured out like a drink offering. The time of his departure has come. He knows that he's going to be die. He's going to die. And from what we read of church history um, is that he died and under the roman empire by way of beheading and so if you're on your dying bed you know it's time for your departure you're going to have to get out your last words that are most meaningful to the most meaningful people and so this is what he says he says i charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus who's the judge the living and the dead let's stop there so Paul says, I charge. He uses himself. But just because he's doing the charging doesn't mean that it's of any less authority. Because ultimately, the charge comes from God. But Paul is God's messenger telling Timothy what God expects in his own house and what God expects Timothy to do. I wanted to say this on the side. How well would we take similar language if i were to say david i charge you 
doesn't mean literally I, ch- I will charge your debit card or something like that, but I charge you. Now, more than that, I, I would say I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead. So if, if we have any reverence for God, we know at that point that what this person is saying is serious. If he himself is taking God seriously, and if God's word is to be something to take to be taken seriously, then we know at this moment that what has been what is about to be told to us is 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 severe. It's it's sobering. It's dignified. It's it's something weighty. And and the charge I was, I I have a wonderful book. It's called Word Study. Weist's Word Studies. He's a Kenneth Weist. He's a, a Greek scholar, and I love how he just kind of exposits uh, these past these letters, and he goes into the Greek. and And he had taken note that that word "charge" in the original Greek associate was used in pagan times to where. It was kind of you imagine like a court uh, where, where uh, they would where the Greeks would call the gods and men to account. They would call them to witness. Now, obviously, we don't believe in other gods, but I'm saying historically and etymologically, that's what the word uh, what it means, right? Is to charge you. That's what what was carried with the idea of what it means to charge. So, like, I adjure thee. I, I I solemnly commit to you, right? Charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead. So be mindful of what God has charged us with because God will examine whether we do that. So just because there is no condemnation, and notice he's, he's going to judge the living and the dead. Those who are dead in sin, those who are alive in Christ. And so just because there is now no condemnation for us does not exempt us from judgment. It's it's not a judgment unto condemnation. It's a judgment to assess the work we've done, whether good or for bad. And he will try it. It says on that day, he will try every man's work. Whether it was built of wood, hay, stubble, straw, precious stone. And so just because we are of his children doesn't get us out of this. It says, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So what is the charge? Number one, it's to preach the word. That word preach in the Greek is the word keruso. And what is meant by it is a public announcer, or as as it's a term called a herald, who would appear before an entire public to proclaim what the emperor had told him to say on behalf of the emperor. Now, those who speak on behalf of the president or would have spoken on behalf of a king, they have some pretty weighty things they have to say when they address the public. And it might cost you your job if you give false information, right? But notice, though, we're speaking on behalf of the one who will judge the living and the dead. Do you feel the weight of that? Uh, The one who will come at his appearing. And the very word we're proclaiming will be the very word that will tell the people in their graves, arise. That's that's real sobering stuff. It's very uh, weighty to consider. And so that is precisely why, you know, I share the same sentiment as Richard Baxter said in the 1600s. He says, I will preach as a dying man to dying men as if I can never preach again. A dying man to dying men as if I would never preach again and and the words that we proclaim are the words of eternal life men may not perceive it as the words of eternal life but those who are dead in sin 
but that's what it is in truth is God's holy word. And so the charge is to preach, to lift up, to publicly proclaim on the behalf of the King of Kings what the Lord has declared. That is the charge. And we do that in light of the fact that he will judge both us and those to whom we proclaim. And he will appear. And so and when he appears, may we be found faithful of rightfully proclaiming his word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. That word ready is that piss they mean? It means to stand by, be present, to be at hand. So if I were to say stand by, or, you know, uh, then that would imply I need you right by my side. I need you to be ready. I need you to be stationed here. So when we are proclaiming the word, we must be ready. Ready for what? The Bible says in season and out of season. So when you look at those, those words and what they mean to be in season, out of season, that means in opportune times and in unopportune times. Times when it's most favorable, times when it's not so favorable. Times when we have religious freedom to proclaim the word, times when our freedoms are being cracked down upon. Times if we're locked up in prison for faithfully proclaiming his word, we're going to get our lights punched out for doing so. Or when they say, hey, have at it. We invite you to our wonderful cathedral. We're going to have a banquet afterward as well. I say that to say this, whether it's in favorable times or not, we are not, uh, we have no choice over, you know, I remember some years back when the Lord was having me go out very frequently to proclaim the word. I was evangelizing more often and, and I would go out even when it was raining. And I would see some people, you know, comment on my live because I would go live, you know, not to for publicity, you know, for showmanship or anything like that, but really to serve as an encouragement because here in my town, virtually no one does it except the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was kind of trying to be an example, like, hey, you guys need to be out here as well. And some people would say, hey, that's, you know, sacrifice, whatever. It's raining. I'm like thinking in my mind, no, it ain't. I mean, you walk to work when it rains if you have to. Why, why am I, why am I going to say I'm not going out today because it's raining? Uh, what, what kind of servant am I? You, you get what I'm saying? If the Lord has told us, or if, if people say, you know, I don't really want to go to that prayer meeting. It's, it's, I'm tired. Or I, I don't really want to preach. I know there's a lot of people that are going to hell. You know, it's raining. Let me go back in and tuck my happy self in my bed and get a nice warm coffee and watch Netflix or some meaningless stuff. People can go to hell. Now, I understand that, you know, there's times where the Lord doesn't send us out, right? Or, or you know, that we're not, we're not, we're not obligated to tell every single person that we come across. So we have to be spirit led, but I'm saying if the Lord does lead us and we say, you know, I don't want to go out. What does that say about us? Are we faithful servants? If the Lord impresses on your heart and says, David, I want you to speak to that person. And he's and you reason with your mind, you know, he looks like a successful businessman. He ain't going to talk to me. Is, is that favorable? Is that a favorable time or, or not? But in either case, whether it is or isn't, whether it's difficult or it's not, we have to be faithful to that, that holy charge. And so keep every circumstance, keep every obstacle in light of that grand truth. That my decision right now, in this instance, will be judged by God. He will examine it. He will test it. Will you be rewarded for it or not? <clears throat> and William Booth said this. I think it's a bit extreme, but 
I think it well communicates the point. He said, I wish my ministers could be hung over hell for 24 hours. Imagine how much that would sober us up. I, rem- I sometimes remind myself of it. And I think about how horrifying. I mean, just talking about it right now horrifies me. I'm like, God, man. It's forever, man. It's forever. And I know we, we shouldn't harp on it too much. Because there's other things we got to talk about. And there is a very real heaven to gain. The glories of heaven. But God forbid that we should become unfaithful messengers and tear that out of our Bibles. Okay, so be mindful of that. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So that word reprove, I was looking it up in the Greek, and I like doing this because we have to look at the definitions that Paul, we have to look at the words from how Paul understood the words, how the writer intended to use those words, not how we want to use them. Sister Daniela had pointed out something very important about going into the Greek, how the Greek word gune is it can be translated woman or wife, but what determines the meaning is the context. Okay, so the word angelos can be translated messenger or angel. So it doesn't necessarily mean an angelic being, although more often than not, that's what it refers to. But context ultimately determines the meaning of that word because there are instances where it refers to a human messenger. It's less common, but it's possible. So we don't want to fuse our interpretation into what these words mean. Rather, we want what Paul understood the words to mean and what he intended to communicate to inform our understanding. And so when we look at the word, we see that the word, it's, um, it basically means to speak of a rebuke that results in the person's confession of guilt, or if not his confession, in his conviction of sin. So reproving people results effectively into their confession of sin or otherwise a complete conviction of sin. So when I uh, reprove someone with the word, it leads to the result of their conviction. So in other words, we should preach in such a manner that they result in a confession of sin or a confession of guilt, or at the very least, a conviction of their sin. That's what reproving preaching accomplishes. See, this is why um, more than teaching is needed. We need preaching. Preaching is commanding. Teaching is explaining. Those are the differences. When I say repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, I am preaching. Or if I say cleanse your hearts, you sinners, And wash your hands, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail, as James said. I am preaching. If I, on the other hand, say repentance means change your mind as we look at the original Greek, which is metanoia, and here's how you do that. That's teaching. That is good, and that is needed. And if we are going to have great and effective preaching, it will also require teaching as well. Psalm 51, David says, when you cleanse me of my heart and, and, and you reveal the walls of Jerusalem, he says, then will I teach sinners in the way. So, because if people are going to be moved to conviction, they need to first understand why they're being convicted, right? They need to be taught and preached to. But a lot of times today we want just teaching because what it does is it keeps it all in the, in the intellect, And there's no heartfelt conviction associated with it. That's why a lot of people today, they love apologetics. And don't get me wrong, I love apologetics. I love theology. I love getting into, you know, a lot of these discussions. But if that's how our whole diet of of sermons, 
that's probably showing something more severe, uh, more dangerous about our hearts than we even realize. And it's, I want to avoid conviction. I want to keep everything here in a comfortable place of my intellect. You know, I had some, so disheartening. I had someone say some time ago, I don't want, I don't need no flaming prophet in my church. Yep. And that's why your church is going to die. I'm, I'm being, I'm being dead serious. When people say stuff like that, what it means is don't expose, don't expose anything. Don't bring light. And, and it's dangerous. I'm sorry, man. You know, I, I love, I love how faithful Wilkerson was to the ministry of the word. He'd weep over the pulpit. And he said, and I love one sermon. He said, he says, I, 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 I can't only preach good messages when I see a transvestite over here to my left. Then I see someone over here to my right. His whole life is devastated. Cocaine cost him everything. I can't proclaim a peace, peace when there is no peace. I must feel the burdens and the sins of the people. And and what happens is people never come to feel the weight and the guilt of other people because they themselves are weighed down by their own. We cannot come to a place to where we can bear the burdens of others if we're born were heavy laden by the guilt of our own sin and cannot find victory and that's why i'm convinced we that's what pretty much the extent of all that we hear is good feelism just go through the motions be happy don't get me wrong there's happiness in christ there's joy in christ but do not get mistaken that it only comes through a faithful heart of repentance that is renounced and turn their back on sin in the world. But until we see that in the church, guess what we must address? <clears throat> you know, the prophet Jeremiah said this in Lamentations, your, your false prophets have seen for you vain and foolish things. They have not discovered thy iniquity. So what he meant by that is these vain and foolish visions are not discovering the sin of the people. They're they're saying, in effect, prophesy to us lies. And and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of things, a lot of good that the Lord does prophesy to his people. There's wonderful blessings, man. I've I've had prophecies prophesied to me, made me cry and tears of joy, you know? But those those wonderful and precious promises are communicated to those that are are walking in good standing with the Lord. And so, but if we don't discover the the elephant in the room, what we do is we allow people to remain oppressed. And that's why that's why Jesus spoke so hardly harshly towards those who had the word right. And they just turned religion into a business. And they turned the temple into a supermarket. Because they were after money and power. And they were not after to pro- proclaim Christ and all his truth. And it's still happening today. And and people allow the whole church to go on without reproving them. Or so-and-so gives a lot of money. Don't touch their, don't touch their golden calf. Let's avoid speaking on that. Sorry, man, I ain't going to switch up for the gospel. I don't care if if someone gives a million dollars to the church, we're we're not supposed to switch up. Whether they entice us by pleasure or whether they they intimidate us by pain. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body. So reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That word exhort is the word potakaleo. 
And it means to urge or to plead. Have you ever heard? And I reference these men because I think that they serve as great classics of those that embody what it means to preach. Wilkerson or Paul Washer or Ravenhill or Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. They would plead with their hearers and you could hear the Holy Spirit's urge and wooing and pleading, come, come, repent, come near, draw nigh to the cross. And so in all sternness and rebuke, there also should be a gentle wooing, a pleading, come, find hope, find restoration, find find, uh, uh, satisfaction in Christ. But here's the thing. If we ourselves have not been reconciled to such greatness and such promises and have felt in our own hearts a reality of its sense, if we have not sensed in our own hearts its reality and the benefits of having been joined to Christ, we will not have the power or the the authoritative voice to be able to draw others thereunto. In other words, I can't plead with you, come to this majestic resort, you know, maybe it's in Ireland or, you know, my wife had sent me some things, you know, some beautiful places in Europe. I was like, man, this looks so majestic. (laughs) I, I, if I've never seen these places and have never sensed how wonderful they may be, then I can't uh, plead with you to come. All I can do is, but imagine And so that's why to be an effective proclaimer of the truth of God, to not only reprove people's sin, but exhort them also and bid them and plead them to come uh, to taste of, excuse me, the very thing you yourself have experienced in. You know, I remember one time, some years back, um, the Lord had laid on me a very, very, very heavy burden. And this doesn't happen often. The times that it does, it's one of the most beautiful experiences. But I was preaching, and God's anointing was upon me so mightily that I remember I had to stop, and my hands are on the pulpit, and like my face is just buried in the pulpit, weeping and speaking in tongues. And I'm the mic's down. And I just, I just stand there weeping and crying. And, and you feel this sobriety in the atmosphere. This, this sense of awe, the sense of God has stepped in. And the reason why is because, not to elevate me, but I'm speaking from experience that I preach after what I live from. What I do, I exalt Christ in my proclamation out of my private time of prayer and my enjoyment of Christ. That's why I will refuse to allow others to say, you know what, you should be embarrassed about weeping. No, you should be embarrassed about saying that. I want to bring what I have in private to my hearers so they can taste of a reality of what I enjoy, what they themselves are denying or refusing to come, even though Christ is inviting them to. In other words, you serve and you preach and you proclaim out of your private time of intimacy with God. And they should have a sense of the reality of what you enjoy on a daily basis. Cannot be manufactured, cannot be fabricated, it cannot be generated. All you can do is but pray and ask that God would bless the very word that is proclaimed to the hearers so that they may be moved to repentance. They may be moved. You know, the first time my me and my wife visited a church, a brother that I know from years back, a pastor, He's a, he's a great man of God. He's like an hour away from us. We said that we we're going to visit for some time. And finally did. 
first time in such a long time, I can say that we actually heard a message that we heard from God. Prior to that, I've heard many people go behind the pulpit and sermonize, pulpitize. And it really ends up if, uh, resulting in stagnatizing everybody. <clears throat> it sounds critical, I know. But I'm critical of preaching that leaves people in bondage. Because I care about the state of the, the heart of, of those people. And, and I want to, I w- see, just because you read this, or just because you share, doesn't mean that you're sharing with power. Power comes through prayer. Power comes through intimacy. Power comes through worship. That's where power comes from. That's where it comes from. And so those who know how to preach rightly, when I say preach, don't just think, you know, behind a pulpit. I'm also talking about when you're sharing the word with your friends. You know, I I shared this wonderful testimony, um, you know, how the Lord gave me a prophetic word for some girl in the coffee line. It was just absolutely amazing. Um, But it is through prayer that I've learned to be a hearer of the Lord. So pray and pray and pray and pray, God, I need to hear you. I need to hear you, Lord. And I need to be intimate with you. And so this relationship with the Lord is very real. So that's how come you can be in a mundane place. And because you have a relationship with God, you can say what your father wants to say to that person. Because he's not just some abstract idea lost in my head somewhere. He's in my heart and he lives within me. And, and and the same can be true for us. A library doesn't make for a good gospel witness. It can't help. It certainly can. <clears throat> but exhort with complete, in other words, perfect patience. You know why? Because you're going to come across a lot of people they would say, oh, I already heard that. You're going to come across a lot of people who won't repent. Come across a lot of people who blaspheme, who will insult. And so the Lord says, I need you to have patience as, as you continue to share this. You're going to get discouraged. You're going you're gonna to herald the message of a king, right? You're going to proclaim what the king is saying. You get people just walking by, they don't care. And sometimes, you know, I've gotten so discouraged, I wanted to cry. Because I'm like, man, sometimes you feel like shaking people by the collar. Saying, wake up. Because you know where they're going. And so, this is why patience is essential. With complete patience. Because there's going to come times where you say, you know, I don't even want to do this anymore. Forget it. I had I had times like this. You know, Lord, I don't even want to go out here anymore. There ain't nobody repenting. <laughs> Away with all this this sort of let's tally how many people we get people to say the sinner's prayer. That's nonsense. No. We need people that actually repent. You know, and, and after a while, you will see time after time, even those who tend to make some progress, you go right back. And every once in a while, you get an actual fish. (laughs) Even though you're casting large nets, large nets, large nets, large nets. Some come out dead. That's why you have to continue to have patience and have our mind on what the reward is. Do souls really matter that much to us? Are they truly that precious to us? Are they? Are they valuable to us? 
God, help us to understand and, and be moved more by that. <clears throat> With complete patience and teaching. So again, if we were to rebuke people, they must also understand why they're being rebuked. They need to be taught. Why do we need patience? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't endure it. So you know what that says about sound doctrine? That sometimes even for the church, they need to endure it. Because you will hear things that you don't want to hear. Or sometimes you might like, man, I want to hear this from the Lord or, you know, I want, you know, and then God just says something completely different. It's like, man, I wanted an encouraging word or, you know, but the Lord in his wisdom speaks to us what he knows best, you know, but the time is coming and that time is already now. People are not enduring it. People are saying whatever they want. You know, you got a lot of prosperity gospel preachers. You got, I mean, time would fail me to tell of all the different things that are out there. And they're saying whatever they want. And that's that's a problem. <clears throat> and um, ain't, ain't it interesting? You know, you can get a man, a man or a woman's anointed by the Lord and br- can bring deliverance to where people are in bondage. And people would rather hear a, a uh, latte pastor with his three-point uh, message that doesn't affect change. We need deliverance. That's, that's what we need. And when I say deliverance, don't think, you know, these people out here with their their ministries. I'm talking about like actual deliverance. And if someone needs deliverance from an actual demon, from that too. <clears throat> but it says, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is twofold. I want you to be mindful of this. This is twofold. So, on the one hand, you have people who, in, in Acts chapter 20, it says that ravenous wolves will come in among yourselves. It says, not sparing the flock but will draw men after themselves. Okay? They won't draw men after Christ. They will draw men after themselves. And what that means is you get cult leaders who begin teaching things that strip Christ of his deity. Oh, he's not God. Or this, this, and this, and that. And, and they just come in with all their false doctrines. And they're not leading people to Jesus. They're not leading people to Christ. They might include Jesus' language in it, but they're not putting people. It's self-help gospel. It's prosperity gospel. It's all these other gospels that are not gospels indeed. It's a works-based gospel. It's a Catholic gospel. Okay? And so the church can be bewitched by them Paul writes to the Galatians who were genuine believers. He says, who has bewitched you? Or even to the Corinthian church, there was false, quote, super apostles that were coming in. He says, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. He says, I betrothed you to one husband, even Christ. He says, I fear for you, just like the serpent beguiled Eve, that you yourself would be deceived. Now, there are those categories where they're legitimately deceived. Maybe for just a, uh, for a season. Like, for example, when I first got saved, for a minute, I was going to the T.D. Jakes route. I was listening to guys like Creflo Dollar. I was listening to even, uh, sadly, I was listening. I didn't really see anything wrong with Joel Osteen. <laughs> he might come as a surprise. I even checked out a book from the library. But you know what was crazy, though? is I opened this book and I just felt like something was off. I didn't know very much. I was like, why does something feel so off when I'm reading this guy? 
But I didn't know enough to be assured. But I would listen to Creflo Dollar, the Joseph Prince, to all these guys, the TBN. And I'm like, and I'm convinced they're like, sow a seed. I'm like, okay, where's the number at? <laughs> I didn't know better. I was being deceived. But I knew that I knew Christ. It's just I didn't know enough. But in this instance, that's not what this the, what he's talking about. These people literally have itchy carnal ears. They're like, oh, I want someone to scratch it. And they're like, ah, oh, that feels good. Scratch it more. And they will accumulate for themselves false teachers to verify, to validate their, their sins. Okay. <clears throat> um, I like what Ravenhill said. He says, we have a generation of itchy ears, but I have no commission of the Lord to scratch them. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but he says, you know, they, they accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Hold on. I think this is hurting my head. Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So all these, uh, all these jokes, th- this is what they're doing. But he says, for you, he says, be sober-minded. So in other words, what does that mean? It's not just talking about alcohol. I don't know why I'm lifting this up this water, but, um, you know, he's not talking about alcohol necessarily. We can be intoxicated with so many other things. We can be intoxicated with the idea of marriage. We can be intoxicated with our work. Sadly, some people I've seen, they've become sellouts because they, they got their dream career. So what do they need the Lord for now? That's why I love when people end up staying single. You know, because, you know, it's funny. When I would have prayer meetings, most of the people that would come were single. I'm like, where are all you married folks at? Oh, you're busy. You got soft. That's what happened. You want your cozy little hobby lobby, your little slogan mugs, and you just want to be cozy in a fireplace, cuddling and watching a movie. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Just don't allow that stuff to come before your service for the Lord. But it happens. A lot of people become soft once they get everything they've prayed for. Um, But he says, be sober-minded. Don't be intoxicated with this stuff. Endure suffering. So when things get hard, endure it endure because we're enduring now but the time will come when we won't have to endure this anymore we'll have to suffer anymore do the work of an evangelist you know it seems today that there are a whole lot more pastors than there are evangelists i've kind of noticed that i don't know why that's the case i think i should be seeing a lot more we should be seeing a lot more people actually hitting the streets and uh evangelists don't go church to church like if they do that's not their primary objective there's nothing wrong in going church to church and building up the saints and encouraging them and stuff that's okay but evangelists should be out in the streets that's where they should be i don't know why we're calling ourselves evangelists today and we're just going church to church it doesn't make sense to me you know our culture has changed you, good luck getting people in the church this stuff doesn't happen very much anymore you know, in the 50s and the sort of Billy Graham era, it's probably more likely, but that stuff doesn't happen here in America. You know, we need to be out there in the highways and byways. That's what Jesus said. If we want to do the work of an evangelist, you know, <clears throat> um, fulfill your ministry. And we're coming to a close. He says, for I'm, all, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight and finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So 
he kind of leaves Timothy with an encouragement that a crown of righteousness will also be awarded to you if you stay true to the faith. And it's a fight. Oh boy, it's a fight. It is a fight, man. You know, it's one thing to just live for Christ. But the moment you start getting in the devil's way and start trying to steal people from his kingdom, you get hit left and right, man. And you put yourself in harm's way. And uh, it's a sacrifice it costs, man. You know, there's times where, you know, discouragement will hit. Depression will try to hit. Dismay will try to hit. Uh, despair, even. Dismay, dismay and despair are, are horrible. And, you know, you don't know that you're doing something is when you just wake up and you feel a certain way. Wasn't that you're doing anything night prior sinning or doing anything like that. It's that the devil's trying to come and attack you. Because it's a spiritual battle. You're like, why am I feeling this way? I feel depressed. Just yesterday was all good. It's a sunny day today. Nothing nothing psychologically causing me to... is because he wants to come and bring a spirit of heaviness upon you. And so these are things you have to fight through. And <clears throat> the people on the Instagram world make it look pretty polished. The wonderful pictures and it come off as like, man, this is happy. Hey, let's just love everybody. Let's frolic through the flowers. We're going to have a nice cup of tea and we're going to be best buds. He received the Lord today. And it comes off that way. Seriously, it does with some of these pictures and stuff. But that's not how, dude, like behind the scenes, it gets ugly. It gets dirty. You have fear sometimes that's associated with going out or, or sharing the gospel. You know, things that try to grip you. Because it's a warfare. It's a battle. And, and, and. Some of our victory pictures should look like us with scars on us. <laughs> you know, the, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, or the, I imagine like arrows, like going through our helmets and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> or like torn, you know, sh- shirts or torn strap that's keeping up our breastplate and stuff like that, you know, um, with, with scuffs on our face and, because we don't we don't come we don't get to the finish line scot free you know we, we we have injuries that we sustain but we didn't read it and I just come to a close but paul says this and i love it this <clears throat> he says all those i think he says he, he says you know he says at my defense no man stood with me but he said the lord stood by me And he strengthened me and he delivered me from the lion's mouth. On him I have set my hope that he will continue to deliver me. And I've read that so many times. (laughs) I'm like, wow, Lord, amen. Like you will stand by me and you will strengthen me. You will rescue me. You will deliver me from the lion's mouth. That the word may be faithfully proclaimed to the Gentiles that they may hear and that the elect may be saved. And he will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Oh, that's a hope, man. Because amid with all the beasts and the lions and the ferocious, ravenous wolves, it can become very discouraging. You know, sometimes that I've gone, you know, um, a city like an hour away from me is bad, really bad. And and I've gone out there. in some of the darkest neighborhoods, prostitutes literally walking right before you. And you just see drug sales, you know, all this stuff, gang members all posted up and you feel this just like heaviness. And, and in your flesh, there's times you want to tremble because in certain areas that you go into, it's heavier than others. And so 
that's why people really got to be suited up and prepared for this stuff. Because when you go out there, it can be very dark. And a lot of things will hit you, thoughts, feelings, all these things. And so when you're ministering to someone, it can be paralyzing. But I get, I give that example because, you know, you're going into the enemy's territory. You're going into his territory. It's one thing when we're at the church, we're at God's house. <laughs> it's count, And there ain't nothing wrong. Hey, we that's what the Lord commanded us we're among the saints. We fellowship and build each other. But then there's a purpose for us <clears throat> to proclaim. And so um, this is why I believe this. And this will be the last thing I say and we'll pray out. No man and no woman is greater than their prayer life. No man, no woman. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. I don't just talk it. I I live it. And I I try to instill it in the minds of others because I don't want to see any of us defeated when we go and serve the Lord. Confused? Pray. You're afflicted, pray. You're discouraged, pray. You're anxious, pray. You're afraid, pray. You're lonely, pray. You're going to go and preach, pray. Until you feel that release in the spirit. Where's that in the Bible? Oh, trust me, you'll come to know. Because if you don't sense that release, you're going to still live defeated. There's a sense of praying where you know that what you have set your heart on the Lord has been accomplished. It's been accomplished. It's been settled. You've got your requests. I say this time and time again. It's not say it and forget it. It's I'm going to pray and pray and pray and press in until he bestows upon me this assurance that the spirit bears witness with my spirit that the father has heard me and he has granted me my request. And sometimes that means to abide, to wait, to remain silent there until he comes and comes in power. And that requires patience and perseverance. And so every time I've invited someone to come and street preach with me, they think, I say, you better come hours earlier because we're going to pray. We're not just going to go right out there. We're going to come to my house and we're going to pray. Well, how long? Well, until the Lord gives us the release to go. Those are the marching orders. Are we sensitive to the spirit or are we not? Or we want to create this whole little formula in the system. You know, we walk by faith. We don't walk by system. We walk by sensitivity and intimacy to spirit, not by flesh. Not out of religious knowledge. So I'm going to cut this recording out um, by now.